Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, Kitchen Chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I am just so delighted you're joining me virtually here in my kitchen today. And thank you for connecting with me via Twitter on my Twitter feed at McSweeney and on Facebook, Kitchen Chat, Instagram, Margaret McSweeney, and on my YouTube channel, Margaret McSweeney. It's so fun to hear from you and to share this culinary journey with you. As many of you know, my biggest regret in life is not going into the kitchen with my father, who was an incredible gourmet home chef and passed away almost 25 years ago, just a few months before my wedding. And midlife, this is just such a wonderful experience to understand and discover his joy of cooking and to share this journey with you. So thank you for joining me in my kitchen today. And we have just such a very, very special guest who truly needs no introduction. I am just so honored to introduce you to Dana Cowan, who is the editor-in-chief of Food and Wine magazine. Dana, welcome to Kitchen Chat. Thank you. So happy to be here. Oh, it is so fun. And I love, love, love your new book, Mastering My Mistakes in the Kitchen. And it just gave me such a peace of mind because as my listeners know, I am not a very good cook. (laughs) And just to read your incredible experiences with the chefs and your own culinary journey and to have it in this beautiful book. It's just exciting. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It was so much fun to do. I certainly relate to anybody who has problems in the kitchen. So I thought we're kindred souls before we even begin. <laughs> I love that. And and uh, in the spirit of, of our discussion about mistakes in the kitchen, I reached out to some listeners uh, to have them share some of their mistakes. And also, you've given me the courage to share one of my biggest mistakes too. If I'm oh, I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> but anyway, this is what it's all about, learning in the kitchen. When was it? Several Thanksgivings ago, I just had bought a prepared ham and had put it in the oven and we were all going to my sister-in-law's house for Thanksgiving. And so my job was to bring the ham. Before transporting the ham, I just warmed it up in the, the oven. And when I pulled it out, I don't know what I did, but I ended up getting branded in the neck by the Thanksgiving oh. ham. <laughs> So, but everything That's was okay. terrible. I know. Everything was okay. I uh, was able to put some lotion or whatever, and it's fine. I am scar-free, but it scarred my courage quite a bit in terms of uh, <laughs> cooking. So you have just renewed my confidence, truly, Dana. And I can't wait for the listeners to hear about your journey and learning through your mistakes and mastering your mistakes in the kitchen. I come from a long line of non-cooks. My mother didn't cook. My grandmother didn't cook. 
I don't even think my grandmother cooked. I'm not really sure what all those families ate because they, you know, not, they weren't spinsters sort of eating wrist crackers. But somehow it came time for you know me to go out in the world, and I didn't know how to cook, and it didn't bother me too terribly much. I would have friends over, and you know sometimes I would burn things, sometimes I would undercook them, but I still had my friends and family around. You know, we had a pretty great time. But then after a while. After I'd been the editor-in-chief of Food & Wine magazine for, I don't know, let's say 10 years, 15 years, I thought, this is crazy. I don't have to keep making mistakes. I could actually learn. And more than that, I could learn from people who really are experts because I count among my friends some of the greatest chefs in the world. So that's what I decided to do. I thought, you know what? Time to tackle this. Time to get better. And time to enlist your friends to teach you to cook. And the result of that experience is captured in my new book called Mastering My Mistakes in the Kitchen. And I feel like some people write cookbooks and it's a collection of recipes and it's sort of an examination of a place. You know, it's deep of all about Italy or it's an examination of a cooking technique, like all about roasting. And I feel like my book is actually, it's my autobiography through failure in recipes. And as such, it's pretty funny. <laughs> and and you, hopefully very useful. <laughs> yes, it is delightful and delicious. And I love the recipes you share too, and the experiences and, and your chef honor roll and, and many Chicago chefs, I might add. That was so exciting to see with, yes, uh, yes with Chef Rick Bayless and how you, um, if you could share, share that excerpt from, from the book about, was it the Mexican shrimp? Yes, absolutely. I was making a very, very simple shrimp with garlic olive oil. And, you know, it takes a bit of peeling to peel that garlic. And so, but I did that fine. Mm -hmm. The way I peel garlic is I you know, smash it with the bottom of a can. And, and so that was good. But <laughs> the problem happened when I was trying to get the garlic to soften. I was cooking it in the oven, just as the basic recipe said. And I just could not get this garlic to soften. I had two kids that I was trying to feed, and they were just, or actually three, and they were getting very impatient. They're like, we don't really care. Can we just have the shrimp without the garlic sauce? <laughs> no, no, no. I've got, the, I've got this under control. And so I finally gave up and sort of smashed the garlic myself. So I just, and I thought it was very good, but I do not think they thought it was worth the wait. So I went to Rick, Rick Bayless. He gave me a stovetop way to do it, which was so smart. And, you know, Rick is, a, as you know well, is a great, great teacher. And just, you know, learning a, a tip or two from him was great. And doing it again and realizing that this dish is so simple reminded me that sometimes when you're trying to do things the right way, sort of in quotes, it can take a lot. It can happen much more quickly if you get a little lesson first. That's true. And just the simplicity, too. And, and what I love about this book, to Dana is you make it seem doable for all of these home chefs out there with gourmet ambitions and and wanting to to learn and expand the palate you really break it into easy and doable steps you know i can't wait to try the roasted salmon with mustard and panko recipe can you share a little bit about that yes that is 
one of the easiest recipes in the book and therefore one of my absolute favorites. You take a side of salmon, you smear some mustard on it, and then you take panko, which is Japanese breadcrumbs, you mix them with olive oil, and then you pat it on top. So you make a little crispy layer. Then you have this sort of pungent mustard, and then you have this silky salmon. So you've got even though it's only a few ingredients, you actually have quite a bit going on texture-wise and mm-hmm. flavor-wise. And you pop that in the oven. And the only real potential challenge here is if the piece of salmon that you have has a skinny part and a wide part. My tip for everybody in that regard is make sure that you get a cut of the salmon where the depth of the salmon is the same for the entire piece. So you're not getting an end piece where it gets a little bit flat. Because then what happens is that flat piece overcooks while the mm. other is cooked to perfection or the reverse, that you cook the thinner piece to perfection and the rest of it is kind of raw. That recipe is great for the novice cook because you can just save yourself from ruin by the, getting the right piece <laughs> of fish. And here's my question too. Do you leave the skin on or do you leave the take the skin off with salmon? I just get a little intimidated well, about that. I cook with the salmon skin side down on the tray. And then I don't like serving the skin. So I pick it up off the skin when I serve it to my guests when I cook it in this way. That said, crispy salmon skin is absolutely delicious. But that would be for a pan-fried version or, you know, something that was not prepared roasted in the oven. Okay, that's great to know. And then I love the chef tips from Eric Repert. I never can pronounce his name correctly. Is it Repert? You've got it totally right. It's oh, Eric Repert. Repert, yay. I loved about how he shares tips with you about shopping for lobsters. Can you share that experience about how you went shopping for lobsters with Chef Eric Repert? Well, you know what's funny? I... I didn't actually shop for lobsters with Eric, so he did give me tips. But Eric was the most significant chef that I worked with in that he taught me the singular lesson of the book. Because what we were doing, we were making the lobster, and I thought that what we were going to do was either put the lobster in the freezer, because they say that that puts them to sleep and then they die a painless death, or I was going to put it in the lobster in a big pot of boiling water head first, and that would be quite simple. But Eric told me that if I did either of those things, I would come back as a lobster. (laughs) I did not want to come back as a lobster. Um, And so he told me the proper and humane way to kill a lobster is to take a big knife and pierce the spinal cord. So that turned out for me to be quite difficult to do. Um, you need to, oh, no. you know, you need to have an angle on that and you need to push down hard to do it right, to be the most humane possible. So I got through it. I did. But at the end, I said to Eric, I said, that was really hard. And he said to me, Dina, you are stronger than a shell of a lobster. Your problem was not the lobster, but you were not focused on the tip of the knife. And I thought, you know what? The biggest lesson that I learned from all of the chefs, from all of the cooking that I did, is that if you can just focus on the task at hand and not think about anything else, don't think about how silly you look, don't think about how scared you are for the lobster, don't think about how big the knife is, don't think about any of those things, but think only about the task at hand and you will be 
a great, great cook. That is just so good to hear about focus on the tip of the knife. But I have to ask, was the lobster like trying to escape? I mean, how were you holding a lobster? The the lobster was not too squirmy, to be fair, which is good. Good. So a little bravery in the kitchen. Oh, and then I discovered some dishes I've never heard of. I'd love for you to share with the listeners and pardon my mispronunciation of this. Is it Fideos with chorizo chipotle? Oh, yeah, the fideos. So it's basically a stewed crispy pasta. I love making fideos. It makes me feel very Spanish. That's where it's from. And my problem with making the fideos, which is made by taking pasta and breaking it into sort of one-inch shards before cooking it with the chipotles, um, was that the pasta went all over my entire kitchen. Um, but once I got over that, <laughs> it still had some problems because once I got the pieces to be the right length, then I, you sort of have to fry them before you put them in the sauce. And it turned out that no pot in my kitchen was big enough to sort of fry the pasta pieces. And so I had to, I had friends there and they were watching me, first of all, break the pasta all over the (laughs) joint and then try to stir fry it in one pot where it was clearly too much. So then I had to take over another burner and so there I was looking like a short order cook with my broken pasta. Um, but eventually it all came together in this thick, rich, delicious, slightly smoky tomatoey sauce that is the, you know, the base for fideos and it, we had a delicious meal together. Oh, that just sounds great. And, and the New York City chef Alex Stupak, is that right? Was the one who yes. helped Alex you with Stupak. that? Yes. Alex Stupak is opening, um, a restaurant soon. He's an absolute genius with Mexican food, and he's he's done tacos galore, but he gave me the idea for that recipe originally, and then I asked him, you know, because it was so tasty, but it also had chorizo, which is a, you know, sort of a spicy sausage, and it, what would he do to, to make it vegetarian? And he had the suggestion to just use really meaty mushrooms, and so I think this is actually a very satisfying dish for vegetarians. That is a great idea. Now, the other thing, because for this, these next few months, for November and December on Kitchen Chat, we're talking about building new traditions uh, for the holiday season. I guess, well, first of all, do you have any special food traditions for your holidays? And also, what are some of the recipes from the book that listeners might try to bring new holidays to their table? We do have a bit of a tradition in my house. We all go to my mother's and my mother is the most wonderful host. She loves having people over. She sets a remarkable table. She's excellent at shopping for desserts, but she actually doesn't cook, as <laughs> I mentioned. So even though she is the hostess, she's not the cook. So she basically gets our Thanksgiving dinner from a takeout shop, which, as you can imagine, it's actually quite good. Yeah. It's a little bit less work. <laughs> For the longest time, I have not had to contribute anything to the Thanksgiving holiday table, even though from time to time, I really want to. In my book, I talk about the simplest turkey ever. My problem with making a roast turkey is that you need to turn the turkey in the middle. 
And, you know, a hot, greasy, slippery <laughs> bird that's quite heavy and not at a very easy angle to reach because it's inside your oven, you know, always daunted me. And I've torn skin. I've, you know, I've made this beautiful turkey sort of get a little modeled. So Jonathan Waxman from Barbudo is the one who said, you know what, you can actually just cook the turkey, you know, in the same direction the entire time with the breast side down. And to me, that was the greatest release, the greatest, you just made me feel like, okay, I can do this. So that's that was one great trick. And then I heard this other great trick that I loved, which is if you're worried about the breast meat cooking at a different rate than the legs because the breast meat often dries out Mm -hmm. while the legs are still cooking. All you need to do is take the turkey, turn it upside down in a bowl of ice where only the breast touches the ice and all of a sudden you'll chill the breast meat down enough that when it cooks in the oven, the legs will cook more quickly because they're at a higher temperature when it goes into the oven. And I and I thought that was the most brilliant tip I'd ever heard. That is great takeaway advice. Listeners, this is wonderful. <laughs> wonderful news. And, and there are just so many other recipes that can accompany the, uh, the, the Thanksgiving meal or in other meals during the holidays. And uh, any great tips for the leftover turkey? Do you have any recipes that might work for that in the book? The leftover turkey in, in my house goes very quickly. It just goes into sandwiches. There's a delicious jardiniere sauce that I serve in the book with pork sliders. It's made with mayo, ketchup, and chopped pickled vegetables. And so it's a very clever sort of cheat of Russian dressing. And that, I think, is a great condiment spread for leftover turkey for a turkey sandwich. That sounds delicious. Oh, listeners, I am going to put a link to Dana's wonderful book, and you might have a chance to win a copy for the holidays. So I'll keep you posted on those details too. But meanwhile, Dana, we've gotten so many questions from listeners that have come in. I wanted to share those if I may. Of course. Oh, great. One of my favorite chefs, Chef Eric Lenlard, he actually made the wedding cake for Prince Charles and Camilla. Uh, anyway, he wrote a note from London asking you, what are your three desert island foods if you had a choice and why? Well, one would definitely be chicken because the great thing about having chicken on a desert island is you could also get eggs. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, I think that I would have a chicken and a cow because I, if I had a cow, I could have milk, which means I could have butter, which means that all of life would be good and I could have steak eventually at some point. <laughs> um, and it would be very large. And then I would probably want like a cocoa tree mm. so that I could have chocolate because I have a really terrible sweet tooth. <laughs> now, are there some special sweet tooth recipes in your book, in your new book? There absolutely are. There is a bread pudding that you have. A, there's a really good shortcut. So you take the bread pudding and you toss it with melted ice cream and Nutella. And so you basically have a Nutella ice cream bread pudding that is very sweet, but very 
rich and delicious. Oh, that does. There's also, I mean, I love brownies. There's a great brownie recipe in there. And there's a phenomenal pear upside down cake that Mm. um, it's interesting because with the book out just a week or two, readers have been telling me what they've cooked. And a lot of people have made that pear cake, I'm happy to say. I guess because it's, it's easy and it's a season of pears and it's not too sweet. So that's a good one to try. That sounds great. I'll definitely put that on the list. Um, Amanda, who is a home chef, asks, you know, from your journey, what has become your everyday go-to kitchen tool? Well, that's a good question. I think that the baking sheet is probably my go-to kitchen tool and that I love to roast things. And I was having some trouble roasting things. You know, I was burning the bottoms and having the tops of things raw. But I think that roasting is such a fantastic way to get great flavor out of just about anything, fish, meat, poultry, vegetables, you know, even dessert. So my baking sheet is probably my go-to. And may I ask what kind of baking sheet it is? What should we be stocking? I, because I my cookies always burn. <laughs> oh, they do. Oh, I have I have at least a few tricks for you. I have an all-clad gold baking sheet. It doesn't buckle. It's really, really solid. I love it. If your cookies are burning, yes. um, you will want to do what I learned from these star chefs, which is double your baking sheet so that it diffuses the heat. And another thing that you could do is put parchment paper down between the pan and your dough. And another thing you could do is to double check the temperature of your oven. It might say one thing on the dial, but be a totally different temperature inside. And lastly, I would say you'll want to turn your baking sheets. So you know, when you're halfway through, turn them so that whatever was in the back right corner then comes up to the front left corner. And that way, you'll ensure a more even cooking and hopefully you'll avoid burning. Great. Now, do you have a convection? Because like, then I have this convection option and I, I'm too scared to press the button. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen with um, that. Press it. Try it and tell me what happens. <laughs> I don't use a convection oven. Okay. Oh, goodness. And then Colleen Coble writes in, do you have tips on putting spices on a rack by the stove or is it important to put them in a cabinet because of heat? She is remodeling her kitchen. (laughs) I would say it is extremely, extremely important to keep your spices away from the heat. They will dry out and lose their flavor so much faster if you have them anywhere near a heat source. So that could be the stove, but it could also be um, a window, Can Mm. you know, depending on where you are, could also dry out your herbs and spices before their time, you know, in a room that was stuffy and warm. So you definitely want to keep your spices in a cool, dry place. Great to hear. Tommy Frendrassi wrote in, what is the biggest misconception people have about choosing wines with meals? I think the biggest misconception is that there is the possibility of the perfect match. You know, 10% of the time you can have a perfect match. 10% of the time you can have a horrible match. But 80% of the time you're going to do pretty well. And so I think that people should drink what they like and they should not focus 
too much on making the match perfect. That's great to know. And of course, in your wonderful food and wine magazine, there are great pairings and tips as well. Uh, Louise Mason Sattler wrote in and said, it's snowy and cold. What is your warm up comfort food, especially a recipe mm. from your book? A couple of those. I have a Swiss chard and lentil soup with lemon that I just love because it's um, it's bright because of the lemon. It's warm because it's soup. It's healthy and hearty because of the lentils and the Swiss chard. So I feel like that is one of my one of my go tos. And then if I'm in a slightly less healthy mood and a more hedonistic mood, there's a baked penne arrabbiata, mm. which is of course baked pasta um, that's vegetarian. It has tomato and bechamel sauce and um, mozzarella cheese. And so it's gooey and delicious and warm and you can make it ahead so that, you know, when the bad weather does come, you're completely prepared. That sounds great. So Louise will make sure you look in her book for for those delicious recipes. Uh, And then Karen Logan Pfeiffer wrote in and said, what was the best and worst dish you've ever had on Top Chef? (laughs) (laughs) I will never reveal that. Um, (laughs) Top Chef is a pleasure to do. And the chefs often have, you know, really difficult challenges. I would stay away from that. Okay, um, no worries. Any judgments on this? <laughs> no worries at all. Pamela Cools wrote in to share her kitchen uh, mistake, food fiasco, whatever. She said, we were making battered chicken nuggets, and after adding the flour, the batter was extremely watery. Made a second batter with the same result. Finally, I realized that I had grabbed a canister of powdered sugar. <laughs> Instead oh, of flour. No. <laughs> oh boy, that can happen. When you think you you're getting a pinch of sugar and you get a pinch of salt, oh, those types of things oh, are so easy to I know. make a mistake and on. And then one of my most recent ones I shared online. I was making some chocolate chip cookies. Wanted to sh- uh, send care packages off to my daughters in college and. Oh, it ended up being chocolate chip rocks. And I realized, oh, no. I know, instead of the baking soda, I had used baking powder. <laughs> so oh. I know. <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes in the kitchen. And that is what I'm embracing. And I think you help everyone embrace that too, that you can master the mistakes in the kitchen. And your book, Mastering My Mistakes in the Kitchen, just just not only is a wonderful resource of fabulous tips, recipes, and, and ideas, but also it is just full of confidence to share with the home chefs to, to, to really make it food and wine worthy. So this is so exciting. Thank you for, for sharing oh, this, thank Dana. You. <laughs> this is wonderful. So listeners, I'll make sure that I put a link to her website, to her book, and details will be forthcoming about how you can win a copy of Mastering My Mistakes in the Kitchen by Dana Cowan. Also, I'm going to put an event link because you are out on a book tour right now and you're visiting some of the cities that our listeners are in. I am. I've been um, on the West Coast and Pacific Northwest and now I'm going to be in Boston uh, November 13th and then Miami on the 23rd of November and I'm going to be in 
Darien and Wilton, Connecticut. So I'm I'm traveling around a little bit. Yes, and it's, it's a lot of fun to meet people who love to cook or love to make mistakes. Either way, exactly. And I hope you'll add Chicago as a destination. It's so exciting. The James Beard Awards are going to be here next year. I love Chicago. Chicago is one of the greatest food cities in the entire country. So I'm, I'm sure I will get there soon, even if it's not my, for my book. Oh, well, that makes my heart smile. And as on the day that we're recording this, I'm actually going tonight to a really fun culinary event uh, honoring Charlie Trotter. And it's the first oh. fundraiser for the his uh, Charlie Trotter Culinary Education Foundation. So it'll be That's so, so great. much fun. I can't wait to, to see that and and just another part of the culinary journey and thank you Dana for being such a special part of this journey and for being on Kitchen Chat today. I'm truly honored and and so grateful that that you're on here sharing. Of course, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is fun. And then listeners, please during this busy, very busy time of year, remember to take a moment and savor the day. Thanks for joining Margaret for Kitchen Chat today. Margaret would be so excited for you to drop by and visit with her at kitchenchat.info, where you'll enjoy podcasts, blogs, recipes, tips from chefs, and even great giveaways. She invites you to share your recipes and kitchen stories, too. As Margaret always says, savor the day.